seen a lot of uh, Scottish football on television uh, back in Holland. And uh, of course, uh, you see a fantastic uh, arena here. So, I mean, it was, it was uh, interesting to come to uh, Scotland and uh, play for Celtic. Hello and welcome to the Bayern Celtic podcast. My name is Lawrence Thorning and I'm joined this week as I'm joined every week by my good pals, Paul Thompson and Playground Bully, Remy McSwain. How are you doing, Remy? What was that all about? Well, I'll do it again. I didn't get it right. You know, no, have, you, have you got a dossier on there or something? What's going on here? <laughs> <laughs> right, well, I'll do it again. <laughs> just go with just, that. Just go with it. I wasn't expecting that one. <laughs> Paul, how you doing, mate? Uh, I'm, I'm much better now. I'm a wee bit confused. I've been reading this book today. It's a 200-page who done it, and <laughs> they tell you at the start who, but then the whole book is going why, when, or how. Was it by? Uh, it wasn't by Lawrence Donegal, was it? <laughs> no, the, the one I read was by Lawrence O'Donigan. Oh, him. Tax XL. Tax XL. Anyway, uh, big day today, or was it? It was supposed to be a big day. Uh, so weekly podcast. We held it off last week because we were waiting for the the big dossier to drop. It didn't drop. So, uh, but it dropped today. Um, Remy, what did you think? Impressed? Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, a big a big build up. Uh, and ended with a whimper, so I could relate to it. But um, it was um, it, it was hilariously bad. I mean, I, I know we all thought it'd be terrible, but I, I think they outdid themselves with the nothingness of it. There was nothing at all. There was no smoking gun or whatever. Was it grenade? What was the gun they called it last night? I can follow follow. Oh, they, 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 you know, they were they worked oh, themselves up in a frenzy that they had everybody and everybody was going to get nailed. And the only people that believed this were Follow, Follow and the BBC. And it, it's it's just nothing. And I, I'm, I'm amazed about the... There's not really been the media backtrack yet, but it's, it was hilariously bad. And, and not only that, it was horrendously written. Uh, well, it certainly was horrendously written. I mean, I'm a, a, a connoisseur of Jim Trainer's prose over the years. Although... <laughs> <laughs> it's hard to know who who wrote it. Actually, I'm guessing uh, uh, Grandmaster Flash was involved. And uh, well, I was going to say if the teachers marked them for their hires, I think they failed. Um, we'll get into the guts of it in a bit. Uh, but Paul, just an initial impression. There was bits and bobs in it. There's no question. Uh, I think I again, I'm not. I haven't been following it that closely. But there was certainly struck me. There was a couple of things in it. But well, the one thing that did strike me was there was uh, th- I think it was twenty eight. You counted twenty eight, Paul, and I counted thirty question marks. Not much of a. I thought dossiers were supposed to be providing answers, not asking questions. I the, 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 it was fairly light on what they were classing as evidence. Uh, I think uh, that that was the, the surprising thing for me. The, the interesting thing, just going back to the point that Remy was making about you know nailing people, that it's probably the first. Uh, these types of exposés that I've seen where the whistleblower's actually spent most of the time nailing himself rather than nailing <laughs> the targets that 
he was trying to head. So I think that's that's probably one of the big takeaways for me is is somebody really needs to go and explain the concept of fiduciary responsibility to to the whistleblower because there's some really uh, interesting admissions that are made within the text around what he seems to have done. Uh, I, I would I would echo Remy's point on that. I think it was <laughs> let's be generous underwhelming. I think it was probably verging towards the pathetic end of that scale. And, yeah, thankfully I'm not one of them, but if I was one of them tonight, I would be mortally embarrassed about what their clubs put out. The um, Actually, I think I tweeted that a couple of weeks ago. It was a joke. I mean, everybody was, who's the whistleblower? It was clearly Stuart Robertson, <laughs> obviously. Um, and, uh, again, I don't want to get too dry and too in the woods on that, Paul, but explain the the concept of fiduciary... What is it called? What do you call it? Fiduciary... Fiduciary I think, effectively... You know, we'll take, you know, going into the full definition of it, when you're a director of you know, an organisation, you undertake certain responsibilities. And at a very basic level, one of those responsibilities is you, if you've got grievances or if you've got dissatisfaction with the way the board's going, you go through a series of internal processes. You certainly don't go uh, allude to it in a you know, mad, angry, masonic, word-filled series of statements and then... <laughs> leak the confidential information in a dossier, including emails from yourself, which fully implicate you as having done so. So, you know, it's sort of broadest definition. You're a director, you've got collective responsibilities towards the organisation you're a director of. If you're a director of two companies, there's obviously potential conflicts of interest and you need to recuse yourself when it comes to issues that create that conflict of interest. And I think there's some real concerns about that when you read the dossier. Um, that a whistleblower may indeed have been dishing out supplying confidential information to the dossier authors, correct? Well, yeah, I guess, <laughs> depending if... Uh, if he... I think certainly, it's hard, how can I put it, it's hard to, to see where he's, which hat he's been wearing. Right, okay. Because it appears that he's been unhappy with decisions that were made by the board which he was collectively responsible as a, a member of and instead of airing those grievances in the way that you would expect them to be aired in that context he's you know done what he's done and I think I think as I alluded to today who, who would have thought the whistleblower would actually be a flautist the uh, the <laughs> I see uh, Robertson was on I didn't hear it I don't know if you heard it Rem but Robertson was on <laughs> this made me laugh he was on Super Scoreboard tonight saying that uh, at no stage... Let me if I can find a quote. Uh, at no point did we talk about... Oh, hang on a minute. It's a classic case of the SPFL trying to deflect away from the issue that we need to be discussing. At no point did we talk about corruption as mentioned in their statement today and or bullying and coercion by SPFL staff. The famous statement which they retweeted today, Rangers will not be bullied. Well, hang on a minute. Yeah. Um, Did I miss something? He didn't write it, obviously, but uh, you know they, they they had evidence of bullying, coercion, and corruption, and other clubs were backing them in on this. And yep. uh, very angry, as Paul said, Masonic statement: stand strong, etc. And uh, as uh, somebody you know retweeted it today with a, <laughs> we'll still not be bullied. So they did it twice. And then he goes on the radio and just says, "We've never said that." And it's like, "What the hell are you talking about, mate? You just—he just looks so ineffective and weak." 
and his position at the SPFL on the board is untenable and he actually probably should join the Santa Fe Public Library but I don't <laughs> think they'd have him the, uh, Yeah, very, very odd I, I'm, I, I'm just guessing here, Paul I'm no uh, sophologist but uh, if I took a poll I'm I'm not banking on Stuart Robertson getting re-elected to the SPFL board Sorry, sorry, Lawrence can I just stop you? What was that word there? Sophologist Ooh. I wouldn't be alone in trying to A, I don't know how to even spell that To even look it up in the dictionary What the hell does that mean? Well, somebody who d- does uh, opinion polling <laughs> Listen, the, the one thing I would say is He's probably still got a chance if he's up against Anne Budge <laughs> <laughs> Well, she'll never order a seat for a board By the way, how I, Well, might as well And I don't want to get into it too deeply But I I don't know if I, I I'm sure I don't know if you heard the whole um, BBC Sports Sound what's it called uh, on Saturday with uh, when Doncaster came on it absolutely undressed everybody on it and uh, not that I'm a big fan of uh, Doncaster and then SPFL put a statement out say you know Doncaster pointed that Anne Budge doesn't know her arse from her elbow and not so many words and then put a statement you know just laying out the facts. And Tom English, my old pal, I would love to hear from Ann Budge. And lo and behold, we haven't heard from Ann Budge since the tail end of last week. Nothing. I mean, she has had, had I mean, we're saying the Rangers have had a nightmare, but Ann Budge, my goodness. I mean, I wouldn't send her to the shop for a bag of chips. How about you, Paul? Yeah, equally, I think, when, you know, leaving aside the way, that, you know, I think I classed it the other day that she's, she's three times more successful than any other uh, club owner in Scotland because she's got three times as many managers as anyone her books but uh, she's uh, she's really you know shat the bed on this one and I think Hearts in general uh, as we've talked before have a a, a a reasonable case to make against relegation but having her as the voice that's representing them is an absolute disaster for them uh, You would have to bet I mean I think I'm aware of two club I'm beginning to sound like Tom English here. I've got a text here, hang on a minute. Yeah. No, I'm aware of two that would would probably just vote to relegate hearts just to well, get her back. Well listen, leaving that, I, I agree with you. I mean there's there's certainly clubs that, that can can't stand hearts and can't stand her and because of the actions, but if you actually if kind of linking it back to the dossier today, the section that they've pulled out about reorganisation and reconstruction. They're pretty much making it clear that, as we said weeks and weeks ago, they're going to vote against it. So even our, our biggest ally in the league's going to let her down. So you know that just shows the naivety of the person that's leading that organisation, leading that committee that she doesn't actually realise that jumping into bed with the the very crew that's going to you know kick her in the arse as soon as they get the chance. And that's that's you know more or less what they've said in their statement today. They're against reconstruction. That's and, in the dossier. And of course, Doncaster. Again, who's no hero? Uh, you know, he made a mug of her. I mean, he bought her off by giving her the chairmanship of this committee that was never as doomed to failure. But she was yeah. too stupid or too vain to realise that and and took it and shut up thereafter. Um, I tell you what, yeah. Oh, well, we'll get on to reconstruction next week's show probably. Here, just going through the the details of the. Doc- You're not going to dedicate a, a whole show to me and Paul saying it won't happen. <laughs> The uh, just going through the the dossier, Paul. Uh, well, Ren, you go first. Uh, what was the? I, I listened to Sports Sound tonight. 
they're they're making a big deal. I'm looking at the coverage, the immediate coverage is this uh, the failure to disclose that finishing the season early could cost up to ten million pounds. That uh, that Doncaster failed to tell the clubs, hey, if we call the season early, uh, we could lose ten million. Uh, now I, I'll preface that by saying, as far as I'm aware, the season hasn't been called, has it, Rem? Uh, no, it hasn't uh, yet. It's been called in the lower leagues, but the vote has taken place, which gives the board the authority to call the league, should they wish, if uh, it doesn't look as if we'll be able to finish the season. I, I was being slightly sarcastic, but we made this point weeks ago. Oh, oh, sorry, I, no, I no, missed that. No, no, you're all right. I went serious for a minute there. The, uh, yeah. But the... But we pointed this out weeks ago, didn't we? That you know the costs of co- calling the season early. Well, we 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 framed it at the costs of of calling null and void. That the money's yeah. That this amount of money yeah. would have to go back. Well, we don't like to blow smoke at our own arses because we do talk a lot of pish. But you know, every now and then we do get things right. So you know, we got the the Brendan Rogers thing right about a year ago, over a year ago now and got ridiculed for it. Uh, but it turned out to be correct. And, you know, during the lockdown podcast, which seemed like a long time ago, but I think we were only about two weeks, we, we discussed this many times that there was a serious issue about null and void in the league and all the monies that had to be paid back. Now, obviously, we couldn't put values on it. But, you know, as Paul pointed out at the time, we maybe need to do, redo a deal with Sky to show more games behind closed doors because Doncaster had already pissed off BT, you know, by slagging them. And you know, what do you do with season tickets? And you know, how do you refund games that won't be played, etc.? So three idiots like us knew there would be costs to not finishing the league. The, yeah, the only this part. guy's in charge of this guy's supposed to be in charge of a fifty million turnover business. Come on, Andy's a CA. What we didn't account for, though, Amy, was the fact that you can actually mitigate all that stuff by giving the broadcaster a £25 voucher for the club shop. <laughs> well, right, everybody's got somebody in their work, their pet hun, right? Well, today, mine, when we were talking about the dossier, said, it's all right, we, we won't short our money because Castori are giving us £20 million next week. Oh. And and how do, you, how do you deal with idiots like that? I mean, it's just—it's incredible. They—they they believe any old shit that the papers tell them. The um, what Rangers haven't disclosed in this um, in the dossier is that failure to call the league now will cost more than ten million. I was going to say double, triple, because if if the league doesn't start again, this is kind of good good info, I think, Paul. Uh, if the league doesn't start on August the first story we've heard is that that automatically t- Sky will jump on it to yeah. that's a breach of contract Sky will jump on the chance to renegotiate and there's only one way that negotiation will go which is downwards Yeah, I, I mean I think there was there was some stuff which uh, I think Barca Boy was talking about it on Twitter last night about the, the precarious nature of where Sky are just now in, in Comcast, their owners uh, in terms of what they're forecasting you know, they've lost not only live sport in, in Scotland, but live sport in the UK and live sport globally because they're a global company. So live sport equals a massive proportion of their subscription base 
if they've not got subscribers coming in, they've not got money to pay for rights issues and sponsorship. And as a consequence of that, any chance that they'll get to jump on an existing contract that's due for renewal or where a contract is not being complied with potentially, of course they're going to jump in it. Any business would jump in it if there's a way to save yourself money. It's, it's ridiculous that you wouldn't even entertain that notion. You know, and that comes back to your fiduciary responsibility thing again. If you're a director of an organisation that's involved in negotiating these very complex and very, you know, inert, you know, compared to what we understand financially, very big contracts, how the hell would you know understand the ins and outs of both the existing and the proposed contract deals? That's part of your responsibilities. So you've got you've got Rangers in this dossier saying, ah, nobody told us. Well, they shouldn't need to tell you because you're on the board. You're meant to understand that you, you don't need to be explicitly told. Or, you know, It's almost like Robertson's taking his board hat off and put his Rangers hat on and went, well, yeah, you told me it when I was on the board, but you know, you'll need to tell me again. It's, it's a completely ridiculous notion. The um, Yeah, I, I, again, it, I think the damage to not ending the league, the financial damage to not ending the league is far greater than the damage to ending uh, uh, to... to yeah. To what I'm confused here. Anyway, you know what I mean. If we don't end the league now, it's going to cost us more than if we do. And, and you're absolutely right, Lance. And it's interesting that that's omitted for the dossier. There's no comment on that side yet. The, no. the, the comment was all about, well, they never told us the detail about what would happen. But as you say, <laughs> we've got this massive problem facing us, or we've got this relatively small problem behind us. Yeah. Let's put all our attention on the relatively small problem. That. No, <laughs> again, if you're a director in an organisation, why would you do that? You, you almost accept that as a, a, you know, a cost of doing business, and you move on to your big issue. That's yeah, and that's what, and that's what every lower league chairman who you know has been on the BBC or Radio Clyde or whatever has said that they actually didn't really need the money for this season. They wanted to draw a line under it to plan for next season because that's where the problems occur because they won't have fans coming in. So even the small clubs get it. And I, I don't know what the turnover of some of these clubs are, is. It'd be a hundred grand or something, maybe a quarter of a million. They get it. You know, they're being run by the local businessmen, the be sole trader, whatever. This guy is a CA in charge of a fifty million pound business and he is clueless. Um yeah, it's quite it's quite something. And what I'm trying to look here, just to go through the other one, just let's nail this for the hard of thinking. Uh, the whole loans issue seems to have uh, taken a, a bit of a back seat, but that was front and centre not so many weeks ago, Paul. Um, yeah, I mean, I think the, the deal with it in the dossier in the space of a couple of sentences, but again, if you look at all the weekend chat, you mentioned the Doncaster appearance uh, on Sports Sound and the fallout from that, for example, once and. You know, I think one of the things that Doncaster made clear was that everybody had been paid out to their lowest possible league position already. So in terms of this thing about an advance via loan, uh, the fees had already been advanced, as I understand it. Oh. You know, if everybody in the bottom six who could potentially still finish bottom has had a payment equivalent to what you get for finishing 12th. So in effect, Harps have had all they're getting. And I think I might be wrong in saying, but I think it's the same for the top six. So where the top six is, is clear, they've they've paid out and I think there's maybe only hips that have, that have got an issue around that uh, but aye it's, it, as you say it was the major smoking gun and then it's no longer a smoking gun and it's it's still in the dossier but it's downplayed to the point of complete irrelevance the, uh, and just to nail this again Michael Stewart 
who I think has been talked around. I think I know who talked him round. If you remember, not so many weeks ago, he was for burning the place down, but he's uh, he suddenly changed his focus onto the misbehaviour of Rangers. But he was still pushing this line on Saturday that, OK, leave loans to one side, but can we not give clubs a cash advance? And it's insane. So I kind of did, I did some numbers on this, right? So you pay, you, Stuart's case was you pay the clubs a cash advance to their league position right now. And then uh, if it turns out they've got more money than they should have got, they pay back the money next year, right? So you take Rangers, right? So Rangers are currently second and they could finish fifth. So second place and the, the last figures available were two, was 2.3 million. Fifth place is 1.6, okay? So you give Rangers 2.3 billion right now, okay? And they fall to fifth. So you're already... 800 grand in the hole. What if Rangers go into administration? Right? Yep. They drop to seventh or eighth. They can only they get paid, they only drop to six. They get the sixth place money. That's what they get. But you drop to six, and now you're looking at you're looking at a million quid. Now you've got a club who's in administration owing the SPFL a million quid. I mean, yeah. it's, it's just how can you possibly advocate that? It doesn't work. Oh, when 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 does the SPFL? <laughs> How does that assume the responsibility of lending a last resort for football clubs? You know, I'm assuming every football club in the SPFL has some level of banking connection and has some level of finance. Some have got more complex affairs than others, as we talked about with Harry a week or two ago. But, you know, I, I would need, you know, I'm a kind of member of professional organisations through, through my, you know, my, my own kind of efforts. And if I had financial issues, I'd go to my bank. Or, you know, I'd go to kind of my own sort of sources of finance. I wouldn't phone up the institutes that I'm a member of and say, like, you couldn't sub me a few quid, could you? Despite the fact, you know, I may, I may or may not be on them fees. It's, 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 a, it's a kind of, to me, it's a bit of a ridiculous. It's like going to any, anybody that owes you money and say, well, could you just pay me early? You know, if you work any level of business... You know, generally you're working on some kind of payment terms. You're working on if you're invoicing people, you're thirty days, sixty days, ninety days, whatever it is. But you, you, very rarely do you see a scenario where you'll go to somebody and say, "Look, I'd really like you. I know you're not due to pay me till the end of the end of the, the month or the end of next month. But you know, do you think you could sort me out this month? Some might, yeah. some. But you're under no obligation to do it. Yeah. yeah. And Paul, if if you ask somebody for an early payment, you usually have to offer them a discount. Absolutely. To get it through. The, so. Here we are, the club in administration finishing six, owing the SPFL nine hundred grand or a million quid. I'm no expert. This is your field, Rem. Uh, where's the SPL falling in the list of Rangers creditors? And what well, they're like, what they're likely the to get? Theoretically, theoretically, because of the football debt thing, they would probably rank fairly highly. But I mean, if you if you remember the when they went begging for the loan, which they claimed they didn't, but their their motion was published and it specifically said loan, they were only asking for a loan that they were entitled to pay back. Yeah. Yeah. Right? They weren't legally obliged to pay it back. So effectively, they were going to try and double dunt the league for the money because they wanted a loan and they wanted to pay out the prize money. So... You, you, you were then doubling what they would maybe owe you back because, I mean, they must be running in fumes now and I know we're going to sound what they're obsessed and, you know, in my field, how can I... I, I can't see... Somebody is obviously putting money into them, but that just means they're getting bigger debt 
every month to meet their payroll. And the debts that they have stacked up for July now must be absolutely horrendous with no money coming in. Okay, they'll get their prize money maybe now, um, but that's it. There's no season ticket money. There's no sponsorship money. There'll be 25 quid from Liverpool for the strip deal, which will cover the voucher. There's just there's yeah. nothing there. And you would not... And, and Doncaster quite... You know, he said we do have to do due diligence for 42 clubs, which I get. But there was only two clubs asking for loans. And both of them have been so badly financially mismanaged, you wouldn't lend them anything. See, the other side of that as well, if you actually go back five minutes to what we were talking about, about you know, they're protesting about... Well, you never told us that, that effectively we've got a financial liability if we, we Sky or whoever this season that could reduce the fee payments for next season. That's the basis, you know, the ten million pound figure they've come up with, right? But if you actually look at the scenario we've just discussed there, what you mentioned, Lawrence, would create the exact same scenario. So theoretically, you know, you, who pays for that if, if a club defaults on that loan? It comes out the other forty-one member clubs fees for next season because that's the only other finance. Uh, Revenue yeah. income, whatever you want to put it comes. So, so basically, they're arguing on it's the cognitive dissonance thing, isn't it? They're, they're arguing on one hand against something, and they're arguing on the other hand for exactly the same thing. I guess uh, one alternative was just to take the prize money and divvy it up twelve ways. Yeah, uh, theoretically, but again, you can look at that from a, a collegiate, uh, good of the game point of view. And that's great, you know. Celtic more than likely would be the biggest loser in that scenario because we would more than likely have the biggest prize money coming in. But again, if you're Celtic, I could see the the logic in wanting the money to flow to the lower teams. But why would you get Rangers or Hearts a penny? Yeah, yeah. I, I thought one of the things that kind of get glossed over last week when uh, Tom English went for his home school lesson with Neil Doncaster <laughs> was that. Uh, when they were talking about the previous advances, which weren't loans, which Tom and Anne kind of struggled on, was that it was Celtic that effectively funded the advances. So we've spoken before about how, you know, should Celtic help fund Scottish football because they're cash rich or whatever. But they effectively funded 300 grand in advances to two SPFL clubs of Two advanced 150k. I know one of them was Motherwell. I can't. I can't remember the other one. But there's been nothing made of that. Um, so, like Paul said, there it is Celtic. They would have to take the hit. But they have. There is proof in the past that they have done that. Um, but to give equal payments out and include Hearts and Rangers, who are just causing mayhem to try and take others down with them, and. I, I just you you have Anne Budge who went all in with the Rangers dossier without knowing what she was what was in it, so she's made herself look even more stupid. I, I'm sorry, I would not give them equal money. Um. So the loans and advance stuff seems to be even. I, I thought Michael Stewart was kind of he was certainly the adult in the room in that conversation the other day. Um. So there was that. The other thing uh, that was at the centre of all of this, this was the looks murky crap, uh, was the <laughs> was the vote. Uh, that was quickly dispatched. Is there much on the vote today in the dossier, Paul? I, I, maybe I missed something. I didn't have the yeah. appendix. 
what I think what they've got is is a a, a two or three page he said she said pile of bollocks which basically tries to timeline it and also inserts in the the conversations with between Park and various others that were involved in it. But there's nothing there that's not already been aired or discussed. There's no new insight. There's a vague reference or two to you know, we've been approached by other clubs who say if there's an internal and an independent investigation then they'll come out with their evidence. But there's no actual evidence. But again if you go back to their original statements, their original statements was we've received evidence from a whistleblower of bullying and coercion involving other clubs. But there's no mention of that in the in the dossier. So again, there's quite a few. When when you talked about those questions, Lawrence, the the, the twenty eight or thirty questions, I think about ten of them are in that section of the dossier because they're all about well, what did Nelms say and what did Ian Blair say to Nelms and why did Dundee change their vote and why did nobody check the email the whitelist and it's just you know real. I think you should also emphasise, Paul, for those that haven't seen it. Those questions were all in bold. <laughs> well, they were in bold. Well, that makes it true. Just for extra drama. Here's a question. Which uh, club CEO did Stuart Robertson call and offer a job to? It'll be north of the Brox then, roundabout. Yeah, uh, anyway, we'll, le- we'll leave that there. But uh, if you remember, Rem, this was the absolute crux of it. This was... Uh, Celtic playing 15 friendlies with Dundee, Karamoko and uh, Edward going up there on loan for two seasons. Peter Lobel had jumped on the phone and given John Nelms, you know, offered him the earth to, to yeah, vote. I, yeah. I, I, can't, uh, I can't remember, and I'm sure Paul's read it more than me, um, but I just want to double check, is, is there any mention of the name Peter Lobel in this explosive dossier? There's no mention. No, certainly in the in the, the pages that we've seen, uh, there's no mention of Peter Lawler or Celtic. The, the only clubs that are explicitly mentioned for for Dundee, who you would expect, and in a less than flattering light, there's a few references to Thistle's legal advice, and the only two clubs where there's any even remote inference of evidence having been offered involves Inverness, Cali Thistle, shock, horror, stunned. And Stranra, who are yeah. the co signatories with Hearts, the, the resolution requesting the EGN. So basically, you've got Inverness and Stranra appearing to back Rangers on this one. You've got Thistle, who've already made clear their legal position, but have then subsequently said, you know, we are where we are and we'll go through the reconstruction discussion. And then the rest of it's just focusing on Dundee. So there's no, you know, the, the initial statement and the initial approach for us said there was going to be evidence from other clubs. It's not there. There's none there. Yeah. The, the name, I think the name two clubs has been part of the, the bullying uh, culture. Aye. There's a boy at Dunfermline. I can't remember his name. Uh, and there's also Mike Mulraney of Alloa, who's not on the SPFL. He's on the SFA committee, which I don't know what, they seem to have got their letters uh, mixed he, up. He was, uh, he was, Mulraney was on on Sunday, and he he explained, he did say, robust debate, because that's what happens. I mean, it, it, Paul's been involved in business, and, you know, so have you, Lawrence. And, you know, if, you, if you're trying to get a board paper through, or a funding paper, everybody doesn't just sit back and go, aye, on you go. You, you, you have to convince them. You <laughs> have to convince them, and you have to speak to them long before board meetings, to give them all the stages of what you're going to present so they get their say before it's fully presented. 
Yeah. But yet the whistleblower's gone through all this and then turned around and said he doesn't want to do it. Well, I think it's the interesting, interesting omission for that one, uh, if, if you take the... Nelms was in the... I think it was the Dundee Courier or somewhere the other day, and I think we, we all had a look at the, the link and probably retweeted that, actually. I think you certainly did, once, where Nelms actually went through the clubs he'd spoken to uh, as Dundee chief executive. Yeah, yeah. enough, one of them was Rangers, who'd contacted him. Uh, that that's a, a fact of omission for this paper. It's Paul, nowhere Paul, in there to, Paul, the, to, be, to be fair, I don't think Paul. To be fair, I don't think he specifically mentioned Rangers, but what he said was one club had reversed the charges. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, I just want to, for the avoidance of doubt, this Dundee vote was the absolute crux of the alleged corruption. This was it, the smoking gun, yep. and it's been yep. reduced to a pile of rubble. Now, in the loads do you of the, think? Do you think? Sorry, Lawrence. Do you think that they fell for the fake WhatsApp invoices? I think they might have done. You know what? They might. You know that it's that confirmation bias thing. You're so desperate, and yeah. when that dropped was a pretty because the pressure. I noticed at the start of last week, the SPFL clearly had gotten some outside PR help. They'd hired somebody in. I don't know who it was. I think Follow uh, Forum made a big deal of who it was. But they came in yeah. and there was a concerted ratcheting up of the pressure on Ainge. It was actually very clever. It ratcheted up, ratcheted up the pressure and essentially boxed them in to a point at the tail end of last week they were utterly desperate. And I think the fake invoice stuff, uh, they just jumped on it. Uh, so I think you might be right. I think you might have a... You might be right. So w- what we're saying, so the, the corruption alleged... <clears throat> around the Dundee vote reduced to rubble, the loans advances thing, apart from being incredibly complicated. And I do not doubt, Paul, that that Doncaster's at it here. You know, he's he is looking for an outcome. And in very kind of subtle ways, you know, some people might call it subtle, but you, you kind of, if somebody's trying to escape, you're trying to block off all the routes. Uh, I'm sure he's done nothing, you know, illegal or against the SPFL rules. But... Uh, He's explained why loans and advances uh, cannot uh, be allowed. So those two are cannot, you know, within the, the parameters the SPFL board is trying to operate. So both of those are pushed to one side. But the absolute, the smoking bombshell, is that can bombshell smoke in the dossier, is that a UEFA were going to bend to the pressure put on them by, by the SPFL. <laughs> Well, it's not just the SPFL. I mean, it, it even says in the dossier that it's co-signed by Ian Maxwell, chief executive of the SFA. So, so basically, the SFA and the SPFL have written to UEFA to represent the likely position of Scottish football at that point, which I don't think has changed in the last three, four weeks, unfortunately. But we, we're in a position where the league's unlikely to be finished. Uh, the word in the letter, I think, says that something that the majority of Scottish football teams are, are in agreement or worse to that effect. Uh, and that seems to be the, the, the crux of their argument. Is, but that was before the vote. That was before it had been formalised. But again, if you're chief executive, if you're taking soundings for the clubs, anything above 50% of the clubs is a majority. So if, 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 if 23 clubs... So 22 clubs, sorry, or whatever, half of 42 is. Uh, 22 clubs have agreed, then that's over 50%. That's a majority. So if if he's had an informal nod through his discussions, and again, getting back to that point, a chief executive job, if a chief executive wasn't speaking to his member clubs on a daily basis saying, right, 
where, where do you see this going? What's your views? Then he's not doing his job. It becomes an issue if you're non-executive chairman, does it? But I think that's the definition that they're struggling to co- deal with is the fact that actually good governance involves your chief, chief executive trying to promote the the interest of the organisation that he's chief executive of. Uh, bad governance would be if your non-exec chairman is involving himself and non-exec directors and involving themselves and saying, ah, you should vote this way. And that's been quite clear. That's never been an accusation. So they're actually accusing Doncaster of doing his job. <laughs> there seems to, seems to be a basic misunderstanding of the role of a CEO in any yeah. company. It's insane. Chief exec does chief exec's job, shocker. And the accusations are getting made by a CEO. Which probably tells you all you need to know about how Rangers are being governed just now. The uh, no, I was just more pissing myself laughing. You know, the idea that somebody's phoning up Neon, hey Alexander or whatever his name is. We've got uh, Neil Doncaster on the phone. You better the guy's sort of shaking in his boots because the the CEO of the SPFL sent him a letter or something. Like that. It's just ridiculous, isn't it? The other the other side of that, uh, just just jumping onto the other co-accused was Mackenzie, the lawyer. Uh, no. I've never met him, but I know people who have, and I think the common consensus is he's a bit of a dick, and he's quite arrogant. But um, if it, it, apologies to any lawyer. Is that, is that a legal opinion? <laughs> but but what, what we've got to say is, how many lawyers have you met who aren't? But, but leaving that aside, right, the, the, the accusation of bullying against Mackenzie, uh, four times he told Park uh, that he was, go- he was issuing some kind of cease and desist against things they were saying. Now, I don't know about how much dealings you guys have had with lawyers, but that's kind of what they do. That's sort of what their job is to represent a client to say, hey, you stop that or we're going we're, we're gonna to bring seven shades of hell down on you. And the, the thing that gets me about poor wee sensitive, you know, delicate flower rangers is who was managing Mike Ashley's lawyers? Because if they think that Mackenzie's a bit of a prick, I can only imagine what Ashley's lawyers were doing to them. Maybe kind of ragged all on them around the place. Um, I, I think, I think, given given Rangers' history with lawyers and the fact that they've never won anything in court, you know, the, it, it, you maybe should look at close at home and think maybe we're the problem. Interestingly enough, the QC, and again, as I understand it, the QC that they've potentially been getting advice from on this stuff is also the QC who advised them a number of years ago that they could. They could uh, legal their way into the English Football League. Uh, you know, they, they didn't have to get UEFA permission. They could actually just go to court and it would all be sorted for them. So, interesting. You know, legal opinions. What does it say? Opinions are like arseholes. <laughs> I think legal opinions can well, be like, like arseholes. You'll always, put, you'll always find a lawyer who, who's willing to say what you want to hear if you'll pay him, you know. Yeah, I, yeah, was, I think Rangers, Rangers QC works for Digby Brown. On a sort of uh, retainer <laughs> basis, but if oh. you if you if you take if you take their attitude that their lawyer says they would win in court, the procurator fiscal in Scotland thinks every case they prosecute they will win. So if every that he says, well, they've got evidence, it must must be true. There'd be no there'd be no business for defence lawyers. And if you speak to defence lawyers, even Finlay ripped them last week and said uh-huh. they were an embarrassment. So uh-huh. you know. No, nobody, I don't think anybody in Scottish football, bar a couple of numpties who only seem to be working Saturdays and Sundays at the BBC, thought anything was going to come of this. The, um, I noticed, a, well, I haven't looked on Moonbeam, moonbeamcity.com, I haven't looked today, but I, I'm guessing, from what I can see on Twitter, 
even Rangers fans are a bit embarrassed by this. Uh, I don't know if I misjudged that, Rem. Have you seen anything? I don't know. I haven't. I haven't seen anything. I, I genuinely was working today, um, and I um, only the only really bitter um, working knowing what I did was reading the dossier. Um, so I, I can't see who sent me it, but thanks, Paul. And uh, I, <laughs> <laughs> you, you can burn your own source, but I, I, I did have a good read and. Uh, Myself and uh, one of my work colleagues were an uh, absolute stitches reading it. I mean, we knew that, and I know it's not it, it's not an oxymoron. There are plenty of sensible huns, and some of them will be cringing tonight reading that. Uh, the two lines of attack, uh, Paul. The first one was, "Isn't it a disgrace that this dossier has been leaked?" Oh my God! Uh, and the other one was, after the SPFL put out a statement, which is pretty. Um, not nasty is the wrong word, but it was pretty strong. I just unnecessarily so, but that's an opinion for another day. Uh, but the 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 other one was well, it's on to a legal challenge. Uh, obviously, the Rangers are going to lose this vote next week. Uh, so hey ho, let's go to court. What's the potential of that? What's the chance of that happening? They can't afford a long legal case, can they? Um, listen, I, 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 there's a bit of me that hopes that they do because I, you know it will be a. Another drain on their already dwindling finances. I think there's a bit of posture in here. I think they want to, as we've talked about before, they want to be seen to to be galvanising their support ahead of whatever happens. So they know what's going to happen. They know they're going to lose the vote. They know that they had nothing. I mean, I would go as far as to say I think they didn't even want the EGM. I think they, they, they put forward the resolution for the EGM thinking that the SPFL would, would decline it. And I think the fact that they were actually accepted and the EGM was called has sort of called their buff a little bit because one thing you would say if you look at the language that they were using at that point it was all the stuff we talked about bullying coercion uh, then it became corruption corruption. then it became lack of fair play over the last few weeks you know it was over the last few days the tone just dropped completely and then it got to the point where the Gretna thing obviously got put up as a balloon yesterday to see if anybody would go for that. It got ridiculed fairly quickly. The report came out this morning. I think, you know, we got it back at 12 or something. I think by half past 12, pretty much everybody knew there was nothing in it. Once you'd speed read it, uh, you could see the, in the exact summary piece that there was nothing there. So I think they've just run out of ideas. They, they might go to court. You know, it's, it's, it's Remy said a few minutes ago, you know, and as you said, once any, any lawyer will... I'll take a case on for you, uh, on whatever basis it'll cost you. But the, the only hope they've got is to try and create further delay if they do that, because they're not going to win it, let's face it. And I think if it goes to a legal route, I, if I'm, you know, again, not an expert, but I would be more concerned as the whistleblower than I would be as the accused in a legal yeah, yeah, I, I would like to say, Lawrence, about the SPFL statement. I think, and I know you said maybe it was a bit unnecessary. I, I think I, I've always thought Doncaster was weak and ineffectual, um, and Saturday was the first time I've ever been impressed by him. And and he was that good that I genuinely thought he thinks they have got nothing on him. But to be fair to him and Mackenzie, they were both vilified and named and called to be suspended based on this explosive evidence, right? So they're both accused 
with no evidence, and then I oh, will release the evidence, and then they release the evidence, and there's nothing there that makes them look bad. And to be fair, I think they're quite right to have a go back. Uh, do you not think there's an argument to me that uh, it's in the best interest of the SPFL to, no matter how badly behaved one of its member clubs is, it's a it's a the responsibility of the SPFL to try and keep the organisation together to not push one. I think they did. I think they are. The, the, the SPFL have been trying to do whether we like. They have been trying to do the best they could for the whole forty-two clubs. That's what they've always been trying to do. Now they've even admitted themselves they went away the wrong way about some of the things they could have handled the Dundee vote better, but you know, we're in they keep hearing the phrase unprecedented times. No one knows what to do. This has never happened before. And hopefully will never happen again. You know, we, we don't know when we're going to play football again. You know, you have got the, the chairman Allah who is closer to the smaller clubs saying if we don't get something sorted soon, a barrel of the clubs will go to the wall. Right? And hopefully one will. But they need they need to resolve it for all the leagues. And this mob are only kicking up shit because they cannot handle us winning nine in a row. And because they weren't good enough to stop us in the pitch, they've used this as a way to try and delay it and delay it and delay it, get null and void, and also take other clubs down with them into admin and minimise their penalties. The SPFL have tried to do their best for all the clubs. Yes, they were never going to get the, you know, they couldn't please the majority, right? And they've tried to offer them an olive branch with a reconstruction chat. But I can understand why Hearts and Stranraer and Thistle were upset. Why are this mob leading the charge? What is it all about? Well, it's all about delegitimising Celtic's legitimate. Correct. That's all it is. That there is nothing else in this. So that's why I think the SPFL are actually the ones all the way through have looked after the majority of the club's interest. The, uh, just quickly on that, I saw there was an uh, old Slippy did an interview on TalkSport yesterday. They were desperate to get back and finish the season. Was that was that the line? Did I miss it? Am I mis- misrepresenting them, Paul? don't think I am. Well, I'll let you come in in a minute, but my thought on that was it's a long way from the, the dark weekend of the soul after they lost to whoever it was, Hamilton, or I can't remember who it was. Hearts that time. The Hearts, that's right, in the cup. And he disappeared for two days and he thought he was going to resign. Oh, but hang on a second. I, again, it's, what's quite, not irritating, but quite amusing is this, this attempt to rewrite history as if, you know, Celtic were desperate to call things to a halt. And I think I've said this before, the stop saved Rangers. They stopped, they, it would save them having to fire their manager and pay him a whack of compensation. They wanted him out. It's it's incredible. He would have this history, this attempt to rewrite history. It's just mental. Yep, I, I agree. Well, I went off on a similar Twitter rant about him yesterday. It's, it's a real, it's a real, you know, mental gymnastics. That's incredible. That, that, that can get him to a point where you know, miraculously, they were going to see a turnaround in their fortunes and a turnaround in his personal performance as manager is such a scale that they would they would reduce our lead and then eventually overtake us despite the fact there was absolutely no evidence other than the fact it was going to go the other way. 
because you actually look at their two or three results. Like, yeah, I know they beat Ross County on the Sunday, but the two results prior to that were probably their two worst results of the season, which is saying something because they had some shitty results. Uh, but yeah, suddenly Stevie G's, you know, the, the hero. And I think the fact we've got that's his second year anniversary, there was a, a wee hagiography on, on the BBC website about you know what we've learned in his first two years as a manager and what a manager he could become and the, the, the references in his interview to his contact with Jürgen Klopp. I wonder what he could possibly be alluding to there. He's he's not going anywhere on his own merit. I mean, he's 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 at best an average manager. He's had some reasonably good performances in Europe with kind of, you know, a wee bit fortuitous draws, but they have had good results against a couple of good teams. But domestically, it's been, you know, boom and bust. It has been two years running. They've had good couple of months followed by absolutely disastrous few months followed by any excuse under the sun to try and claw it back. I mean, even just kind of alluding back to the, the dossier, one of the things that did really tickle me was Rangers getting upset because nobody had told them that they, SAP intended to continue the Scottish Cup. What do they care? What, what interest is have they got the Scottish Cup? Why, why is that an issue? Why is that an issue to them? What's that? No, that's an issue to, to, to Hearts, Aberdeen, Hibs and Celtic. Beyond that, it's of no interest whatsoever. Uh, you could make a case to say, oh, Aberdeen and Motherwell, uh, they're beneficiaries because the Scottish Cup, there's not going to be a, a European place uh, available because it's going to get played too late for the qualification, probably. But to, for them, to, that's how much they were dredging up what, what, what they're kind of looking for excuses there, that they actually thought that was going to be relevant. And I think that just sums up, you know, given that it was, it was Gerard who was probably the biggest obstacle to, to the SPFL extending the season because, you know, let's face it, if Rangers won the 13 points behind, there might have been a discussion to be had. You know, if it had been a, a, a situation like you had in Holland, for example, but you actually look at what's happened in France, you've looked at what's happened in Belgium, you know, it's like likely, potentially happening in England if Project Restart doesn't happen. The leagues where there's a big, massive gulf between first and second, it's a wee bit more straightforward. And the reason we've got a big gulf between first and second is A, Celtic were better than them and B, they were really, really bad. Here, um, Remy though, I- I'm thinking about, seriously thinking about mutant Michael Beale on Twitter. Did you see his thing? <laughs> <laughs> Did you see his thing? The most one-sided League Cup final in history. <laughs> yeah, well, I, 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 I did see it, but I, I mean, I mean, I know these guys get sort of submerged in the 140 year history shit whatever they come up with but you know you don't have to think back too long I, I know one cup final specifically that the, the, the final result was 7-1 so <laughs> I, I would think that maybe you should shut your mouth he uh, yeah I'm beginning I'm reassessing my opinion on Michael Beale uh, yes he's a, he's a throbber He's a throw. I think you should. I think you should. You realise Paul and I were way ahead of you in that curve. Uh, uh, I've never followed Michael Beale in my life. The guy's a twat, and he, he every time he opens his mouth, he says something stupid. Uh, a quick note here, quick editorial note: the quality of the language on this podcast tonight is dropping quite severely. Well, sorry, Go because I didn't use your big Greek word. Is that what it is? <laughs> eh? The uh, so. Me, 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 
Anyway, listen, uh, where do we go next, Rem? What's your, what happens now? I, I guess this vote is next Tuesday. Um, I'm assuming that uh, that uh, the forces of darkness will not win that vote. Um well, they certainly won't, but the SPFL are meeting tomorrow, um, and I, I, I think we might need. To, it, it could be the Brady, uh, the Brady light could be up in the sky because it's a Friday. <laughs> the uh, I can't imagine that they would. Day, a day for Union Jacks everywhere. That'd be tremendous. The I, I can't imagine that they will. Uh, that would be unnecessarily provocative. I'm going to put my diplomat's hat on here. That would be unnecessarily pro- provocative, Rem. Surely. Well, we're not going to be playing football anytime soon. Uh, Scotland has just extended its lockdown period for another three weeks. Until? The end of May. Yeah. So, you know, the, the English Premier League are coming up with more and more harebrained schemes. You know, pretty soon they'll be playing Kirby to decide <laughs> so they can have a game on Sky. You know, there's rumour that we'll go to Australia and play games. They're, but they, you know, Going back to your comment a bit earlier about why we were talking about financial penalties, we were saying if they didn't play, they would owe Sky and BT hundreds of millions of pounds. And that's why they're desperate to play the games. We don't have that liability because of our crap TV deal. So much as I'd like to play them, and and I'd, I've long accepted that the only way we'll play them is behind closed doors, we aren't playing football anytime soon. So, to go back to Paul's point a bit earlier, call this season and start working out what you're going to do for next season. Um, more and more to me, Rem, it doesn't look to me like we'll be playing football at the start of August either. I'll let you into a little secret. I don't think so. I, I, don't, uh, think so. I don't know why, but it occurred to, I booked some flights for the end of July. This was about two weeks ago. And it occurred to me three days later that that was after I'd done it that that is not going to happen the situation is moving very very quickly and it's only moving in one direction isn't it yep the um, Paul you got a guess well for all I think Paul's g- dropped off he's just thumbing through his thesaurus now <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's a euphemism I've ever had one uh, <laughs> Roger Melly's uh, <laughs> the thesaurus there I think <laughs> the, uh, I think to be- I would, I would agree, so, sorry, quick one, so I would agree on 1st August, I think realistically I've got an expectation it'll be September at earliest, so if we do get football coming back, uh, I think the the, the buggeration factor, that's the right expression, I can't think of a better word, UEFA want the qualifiers played in August, so I just don't know how that's going to work, they want the existing European competitions for this season and potentially the qualifiers for next season all played in August, so I know we always play before the leagues anyway, but I, that's the bit that's really, I can see the domestic stuff starting up, but the bit that's really troubling me in terms of how the hell it's going to work is European football next season, I, I just don't know how that's going to work at all. Uh, yes, with people crossing borders and all sorts of stuff, it's, uh, uh, yeah. it's uh, mind, mind-boggling. Yeah, uh, the yeah, it's a tricky one. I uh, I forgot about the European. I completely forgot about the European competition. I heard Stephen Thompson uh, rem on uh, BBC Sports Sound, 
By the way, that po- here's a quick note. I mean, our podcast doesn't sound. I mean, I mean, the content's obviously rubbish, but the sound is, <laughs> you know, mediocre. But the national broadcast have been putting out this podcast all week, and it sounds like three wallies using tin cans for microphones. It's absolutely rubbish. You missed out of there. I will. Three fun wallies using tin cans. Uh, the but. Thompson's going on about Thompson's holding up Germany as an example to to the SPFL. I mean, with that level of ignorance, it's just where do you start with that? He, he, he couldn't accept that Celtic should be declared one league winners. Couldn't accept the. You know, I can't accept that he was playing football under an EBT. But you know, there you go. The. Uh, yeah, the, the kind of logical... Uh, well, I'm trying to think of the word here. The logical gymnastics involved in that little diatribe from him last week were, were something to behold. I don't think we should take him particularly seriously. Here, uh, we've been going for almost an hour. Paul, maybe ask you this. So, meeting next week, there'll be a meeting. I can't imagine they'll call the league tomorrow. They'll have this meeting, this EGM nonsense next week, get that out of the way, and then they'll get down to the proper business. Uh, call the league as quickly as possible, and then try and get on with planning for next year. See when we mm. see the Celtic win their ninth title, uh, declare champions of the year. How's that going to feel for you? Well, I, I know we've joked about it. We still joke about it. We'll always joke about it. But is it going to feel slightly diminished in your eyes or not? Mm. I think the, the the occasion will feel diminished if, if I can separate the occasion from from the actual achievement. I think the achievement, uh, to me, it's just going to be called earlier than it would have been because I fully expected and I did expect from December onwards that we would we would romp it in the second half of the season. So in terms of, you know, I'm a I'm a disappointed that I'm not going to be able to celebrate it, enjoy it, all the stuff we talked about with our pals and you know together and that. Uh, yeah, I'm disappointed on that side, but I, there's a bit of me that just looks and says, well, that doesn't stop us from being the best team in the league over the course of the season that was played. And it doesn't stop us from, it shouldn't stop us from feeling that we've achieved something. Uh, apart from anything else, the times that we're going through just now, I'll, I'll take it when I get it in terms of good news. So I'll be more than happy to take it. Uh, I'm not going to feel that it's a diminished league because I've lived through what's going on just now. It's it's a horrendous set of circumstances that's happening globally and it was completely unavoidable where we are. I, I just, you know, there's, there's no part of me that looks at it and says, oh, but Scottish football could have went a different way, you know. I just think it's it's illogical to think it in any other way. And that gets you to, you know, you can't now avoid it for all the reasons we've got. So, best team gets the trophy. The, uh, Rem, the, the, this is what infuriates me. The idea that this is some sort of conspiracy led by Celtic to close down the league so they can be, cleared, uh, be declared unworthy champions. It's just insane. Yeah, I mean, our public pronouncements have been very, very few. Uh, and, and I think I, I I take my hat off to the club and their PR department, which is sentences I don't often utter, but we've played it correctly. We have always said our preferred option was to see the season out. And if we had to play the league over to benefit the other clubs, then that's the option we would take. And I think we've been consistent all the way through that. As Paul said, there was only one team going to win the league. 
Uh, we're miles in front in points and goals. We probably would have won the league by more than 13 points as the other mob were imploding. Uh, you know, unfortunately, we will now never find that out. But to say we don't deserve to be league champions is laughable. I agree with Paul. The we will miss out on the occasion, and we will miss out in the night or the day with our friends. But you know, and, and okay, we'll all sit in our own houses and get pissed in a Zoom party. But we'll all have a laugh and and we'll celebrate it. And we deserve to win it. And if any any of them. Tainted titles, we can just laugh at them because they are the experts in that. I think that's probably a good place to end, Rem. But uh, before we do that, just mention of the. I slightly disagree with you on the PR side. I think Celtic could have been a bit more proactive, but maybe they were behind the scenes. We certainly didn't get any help from Celtic, unfortunately, uh, even off the record. But I tell you who I want to, from my perspective, to pay tribute to is Celtic Twitter. They have been absolutely phenomenal. Every, it's, 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 it's an education. I was saying to somebody the other day, there's a hell of a lot of chartered accountants and corporate lawyers at Celtic Park every week, Paul. It's been phenomenal. Every piece of nonsense that's come out from the Huns, uh, Espanol, Rangers, whatever you want to call them, has been pushed back against straight away with uh, logic, knowledge. It's been... It's been brilliant, hasn't it? Aye, and, and it's actually when you go back to 2010, 2011 when you know guys like uh, like Eddie and uh, Harry and others were, were like sort of in the vanguard of this with what they were doing and others we all kind of got involved with as well over the years uh, there's some really clever people out there and, and I think that's the thing where I don't like to get into the new media, old media thing much, but you know, you, you've obviously got a better insight into the journalistic world than we have, Lawrence. But I think that's one of the things that that social media has is the agility that maybe some of the the, the journalistic outlets don't have, and the expertise, uh, and the expertise. I, that, I sorry, that, that's what I mean. It's the, it's the it's the ability to access that expertise or the willingness to access that expertise. I think, as you say, you can you can quite easily find, you know, in the in the. the Wherever you look, you can find somebody who's got an angle on something that actually it's an informed angle. It's you know, that, don't get me wrong. There's a lot of jokers out there as well, and on all sides of the spectrum that yeah. that present themselves as experts or aren't. But I think we've got to know a few people through our kind of time that have actually. Yeah, I certainly feel that I've been educated on football and non-football matters relating to Celtic that I would never have really got my head round without that kind of assistance. So yeah, I, I, would, I would agree hundred percent with your your assessment. Here, I want to ask you about Celtic Twitter, but the one that 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 old media, new media divide, it just it just makes me laugh. I see uh, Tom English on Twitter being condescending and demeaning and kind of you know insulting and wrong actually. And he's having a debate with uh, with Barca boy, who we all know Barca boy, right? And we know who he is, and we know what he's done, and it is and where he's coming from, his level of knowledge. Uh, and it's just laughable to me that a BBC hack would be condescending to somebody like Barca Boy. He's absolutely no idea, Tom English, who he's talking yeah, to. Exactly. If if he was arguing with Barca Boy about rugby, I think I could maybe accept it. But yeah. when he's talking to him about corporate governance and you know 
it all looks murky, mate, and you don't know what you're talking about, you're Rangers hater. He just made himself look an absolute idiot. And he's that much of... He, 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 got, he, he backed the wrong horse that badly that Doncaster did him in as well. And if you're getting done in by Neil Doncaster, you need to look at what you're doing. It's particularly when you're on the same side as guys like Gregory Campbell. Uh, so, I, 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 English is really back the wrong horse. I can see why Murray was on that horse. It ended up a pantomime horse. But they, they, they wanted... He wanted Harps to stay up. Now, he, he can say he doesn't care what league Harps are in. That's nonsense. Right? He buys a season ticket. He doesn't want to see our growth. Right? He, he can say all he wants, but English has made himself look a fool. He has hardly tweeted on this in the last, since Saturday. He's about one tweet a day, and it's usually that ludicrous podcast, which yesterday ignored the non-publishing of the dossier, which was hilarious. They don't talk about it anymore. And his only comment today was, oh, look at the SPFL statement, nothing to see here. And I believe he's rubbished it all again in the, in the podcast. He is so far in the wrong in this, it's untrue. Um, I said, I don't want to get into, I was just trying to make a point about Celtic Twitter. They have been brilliant already. Even for like, some of this stuff has been very, very funny. But it's, it's more the kind of knowledge that impresses me. I've been blown away by it. No. Oh, I love some of it. I mean, th- things are, you know, Things aren't great for a lot of people just now, and and you know, and there isn't a lot to laugh about in in um, overall terms. But some of the stuff the last few days, you know, has been hilarious. I mean, to, to just Tam Selleck's son, some of the things he does with that, <laughs> those those zoomers on the Zoom call, you know, with Sai Leslie, you know, to the Queen, and, and always remember Zelda for Terrorhawks, and we are the people. You've got to push yourself laughing at that. The one that he, the one I sent you guys, yeah, I, I actually can't work out if it was a Tim Poster or not, but it was a, I suspect it was because it was supposedly sent out on behalf of the Grizzly Bears. A new <laughs> and, and it was they were announcing a, a seven o'clock bouncy tonight because they, they wanted the earth to shake. So the SPFL. Now to be fair, it would only take half a dozen of them to bounce the earth to shake around Govan, but. Oh, man, it was hilarious. Uh, very, very good. Anyway, uh, we salute you all. Uh, Celtic Twitter, fantastic. Uh, to the Queen. To the Queen. <laughs> God bless her. <laughs> Paul, Paul, to the Queen. I'll t- talk to you later. <laughs> I'm, away, I'm away with a loving cup. <laughs> Remy. I'm away to play with my loving cup. Uh, Peter loving cup. Um, You're away to play with your loving spoonful. Right. (laughs) Okay, Rem, talk to you again soon, pal. See you later, guys. Bye-bye. Cheers, guys.